Hey everyone, Dr. B here. The barn door is open, the birds are chirping, it's a beautiful spring day. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Ask the Dentist. So a lot of a lot of good stuff today. Let me get right to it. I do have a few things to say before we answer this reader's question. But I just want to say, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a little intro music in this podcast, and then you hear my voice right away. It's the actual episode. That's kind of what I wanted to do. I I listen to a lot of podcasts, of course, and I know there are a lot of ads and kind of a canned introduction, and and that's all great, but I hope you're not missing that or you think that's a something that we've uh, omitted without reason. We just wanted to get right to it. We wanted to keep these podcasts under 30 minutes. That doesn't always happen, but that's kind of my intent. I just want to give you a lot of content without wasting your time. Another comment, we just went through our time change. We're in March. I just wanted to pass on a little tip that I'm finding very helpful. What I do now with the time change, which is always a very sensitive time for the sleep rhythm, the circadian rhythm, people There's a lot of sleep issues around the time change, and I'm not a big fan of the time change, but it seems it's so political at this point that there's no changing it. I do think it needs to be eliminated. There's so many accidents and issues and productivity issues around this time change. But anyway, my tip now, and you've heard me talk about this before, because I do in my practice in functional dentistry address sleep. I've written a book about sleep. What I do now is I keep the kitchen clock set at the old time for at least the first week of the time change. And I do that, my watch resets automatically, my phone resets automatically, the other clocks are changed. But I just keep that kitchen clock, because it's typically visible most of the day, I keep that set at the old time just to remind myself of what time my body thinks it is still. And I think it takes a week or two to adjust. Being able to look at the old time or being reminded of it is a good way of allowing me or prompting me not to abuse the time change, whether it's a spring forward or a fall back. Obviously, one's easier than the other in most cases. But I want to know when I'm going to bed or eating my meal, which is important for the circadian rhythm, what was the old time and how far am I straying from it? Am I abusing that? And if I am, then obviously there will be ramifications with my sleep. And again, I do measure my sleep every night. With the Aura Ring, I have no affiliation with them, but I do like that as a daily tracker for sleep. I do think it's probably the best unit out there right now for that kind of thing. So anyway, just some those are just some quick tips. Let's get right to the question today. It is about tonsil stones, a recommendation to get the tonsils taken out because of tonsil stones and some associated grinding. Are they related? Is that really necessary to have your tonsils taken out? And what are tonsil stones? What's my take on that? I think you're going to find this very interesting. Here's the question. Hi there. I'm having a couple of main issues with my dental health. One being that I clench when I sleep and possibly grind. I'm one of those patients that their dentist recommended a $600 night guard right away. But I'm also always suspected I've had some issues with sleep apnea or something of the likes. And then the other issue that I have consistently is tonsil stones. I've gotten to a point where I gargle every night and of course floss and brush, but I consistently have these tonsil stones in my throat. They're sometimes painful, sometimes not, but 
I haven't seen a lot of research or medical advice on them besides get your tonsils removed. And I feel like there has to be a better solution. So I guess my two questions are, what the heck can I do about these tonsil stones? And are clenching and grinding both symptoms or possible symptoms of sleep apnea? Ah, very, very interesting. Great question. Interesting that those two questions were brought up in the same ask, so to speak. They are related, and I'm going to get into that. So, fascinating. So, tonsil stones. Let's talk about tonsil stones first. See it a lot, seeing it more. You're right, there isn't a lot of information out on it. It was never mentioned to me in dental school. Perhaps that's changed in the last 30 years. Think of dental calculus, the stuff that settles out on your teeth that has to be removed by your hygienist or dentist. These are little accumulations of calcium. I mean, they are literally calcified layers of plaque or bacterial colonies, could be food, biofilm, an abundance of biofilm that becomes calcified. And that can happen on its own, even in ideal conditions. But and this happens on the back of the tonsillar pillars. The tonsils are way in the back of your throat. A lot of people complain about them. They're swollen. They can even affect the airway, especially in children, the size of the airway. So, in the old days, in my time, in fact, I just missed that period of time where removing tonsils was very, very kind of the standard thing to do, although there was a lot of bleeding and potential for even dying after the surgery. It, it was a very inelegant surgery back then. It fell out of favor because we felt it wasn't necessary. The tonsils are part of the lymphatic tissue. It's part of the immune system. They come in all sorts of kind of different textures. I look at tonsils in my patients routinely. Every time I see a patient, especially for the first time, but even during routine subsequent exams, I'm always looking at the tonsils. Tonsils tell me a lot about that person. Is that person undergoing a lot of inflammation? Do they have a cold or any kind of viral or bacterial infection? Has it gotten worse over time for the period of time that I've known the patient? And if so, how is that affecting the airway and their sleep patterns? If they complained about sleep and interruptions in sleep, you know, we look at the back of the throat, the larynx, the tonsils, the adenoids can't be seen. But in kids, those, especially with all the allergies that we see now in children, those become very swollen as well. We refer to them as the TNA, the tonsils and adenoids. Anyway, Tonsillar tissue is important. We don't take them out routinely anymore, although when they become inflamed chronically, sometimes that is the go-to. But I would hold off on surgery. Surgery should not be the first thing you think of. Tonsillar tissue has a very undulating kind of corrugated surface area or texture. So, there are lots of little, you could call them nooks and crannies. Think of an English muffin, a real English muffin. That's on a smaller scale that's what that tonsillar tissue looks like. So, it has a lot of these nooks and crannies where if you're swallowing a lot of debris and food or if tartar is breaking off of your teeth and you're swallowing it, you're not drinking a lot of water, for example, fluids with your meal. If your throat is very dry due to mouth breathing, I'm going to expand on that. These particles can settle out on the tonsils. They can get caught because it is in the way of the free fall of, of this debris. Remember, we're swallowing liters of saliva every day, and, and the tonsils are right there. I mean, they see all this stuff as it bypasses them. Also, tonsils have a microbiome. I mean, they have their own 
kind of biofilm. And they, as the mouth is, are affected by dryness, by pH changes, by a dysbiosis, any alteration in the oral microbiome. You mentioned that you gargle a lot every day, which is a good thing to do. It's one of the things I'm going to mention as a solution to tonsil stones. But the question is, is what are you gargling with? If it's a very strong septic, antiseptic mouthwash, you could be affecting the oral microbiome to the point where you're going to see a lot more calcification of even normal tissue of the biofilm on your tonsils. Very multifactorial. So let me kind of go through the basics. So we've talked about tonsils, part of the immune system, lots of nooks and crannies, a lot of bacteria in this area, very bacteria rich. Uh, a lot of immune cells are present here. Bacteria can multiply, they can get trapped in the nooks and crannies. If your mucus is very thick due to dryness, there could be a lot of dead cells that linger and don't slough off. All these things can calcify, just like the biofilm on the teeth can calcify. Tonsil stones are also known as tonsilloliths, just like a sialolith, that's a saliva stone. Are they similar to kidney stones? Kind of. Different part of the body, though. Different circumstances. Yes, they do involve calcification of tissue, but the tonsils are, are a little different. They're in a different part of the body, and there's a lot of dry air that's going in and out past the tonsils, and they, they work better when they're moist. And if you do have a tonsil stone, this is what to look for if you're a patient and you think you have a tonsil stone. A, you can see them. I see them all the time. We pick them out. We can reach them, typically, if the patient is cooperative. But also, it's, and I've heard this so often, it's kind of like, I feel like there's something back there that I need to swallow. This is what the patient will say. And I keep swallowing, but I can't get it down. And that's a particulate matter that they're sensing. Their proprioception, their, all the nerve endings of touch and feel and in the back of the throat, feel this particle and it feels like there's a piece of food lodged there. I've seen popcorn, particles of other food, decayed food lodged in the tonsils. Some people are more prone to others due to the texture of the tonsils and also due to the dryness. So, also, so there's difficulty swallowing. It can feel like a sore throat. You can be more prone to having a sore throat if stuff's always getting caught in your tonsils. It can affect your sleep. The tonsils can swell. It depends on what size of tonsils you have. They're on either side of the airway, and the larger they get, they we even have a term where we refer to tonsils if they're really big kissing tonsils, and we see a lot of that in kids, so it can affect your sleep. So researchers have looked at this. This is something that there, there were some studies on this. And they have found that both aerobic and the anaerobic bacteria, those, those are pretty much both classifications of bacteria, the anaerobic bacteria being the ones that don't like as much oxygen. They thrive in, in kind of a low oxygen environment. So, for example, one study reported that some of the anaerobic bacteria, they would produce a volatile sulfur smell or compound that would smell kind of sulfury or chemically. And this is the hydrogen sulfide that you hear about, the methyl mercaptans that you could hear about in bad breath. So that's another symptom is halitosis or bad breath. In fact, I think it's one of the most common symptoms, that and tongue debris and buildup on the tongue, two most common reasons for other than mouth breathing, but mouth breathing is what causes those two areas to collect a lot of these kind of mercaptan producing bugs. So, the volatile sulfur has been implicated in halitosis. A lot of that comes from the tonsillar pillar or the tonsils. If you're a patient that has a postnasal drip constantly or due to allergies or 
you get a lot of colds. If you are mouth breathing a lot, you are prone to getting a lot of colds. You're, you're more likely to get that histaminic response wherever you are, whether it's a moldy environment or outside with pollen and debris, and that will set off everything as well. People that suffer from these conditions, they're more prone to having tonsil stones due to the mucus in the back of the throat being thicker. And that's simplistic. That's a simplistic way to look at it. Not only thicker, it's just not functional. It's not working the way it was designed to work. It's dysbiotic. The bacteria counts are off or there are more pathogenic bacteria and fewer commensal. There could be a very mild, low-grade infection back there. And that's what's causing the inflammation. If the tissue is getting inflamed, there's more likely that more stuff will get trapped back there or the stuff that already is trapped will be kind of enclosed and it just kind of feeds upon itself. So, what can you do about this? You, you mentioned gargling every night, rinsing with water. I would not use any over-the-counter product, especially current products that help claim that they disinfect the mouth. That just makes this dysbiosis worse, can alter the bacteria counts and make things just not work the way they're designed to work, the way the body wants things to work. And it prevents the body from doing what it does best. And that is cleaning itself, maintaining itself and reacting to external stimuli and infections, invaders. If you're going to gargle, and, and I do recommend it, I do recommend this to my patients, I would use a super saturated solution of salt water. Get some high quality salt, kosher, Himalayan salt, sea salt, it doesn't matter. But just don't use inexpensive salt. I mean, cheap salt, chemically derived salt. And keep putting in, stirring in tablespoons of this salt into a glass of hot water. It doesn't have to be boiling, but very hot water. That increases the temperature of the water, increases the uh, ability for the water to take on salt. It increases the, the saturation potential, mosality. I forget. Anyway, and that allows it to be super saturated. In other words, it's as strong as you can possibly make it, concentrated. And the way you know that is if you keep using salt and you can no longer dissolve it, you see the salt crystals on the bottom, you know you've reached that. And and it keeps for a while. You can keep one, you can make it in batch and keep it for a few days and, and sip it every third or fourth hour, get in the back of your throat and I don't want to use the word violent, but violently, aggressively swish and gargle and make all those noises with your mouth open and agitate is the word I'm looking for. Agitate that area with this salt water and try and break loose some of that debris. And then, of course, the salt water will help the tissue heal, will reduce inflammation. So, definitely do that and do that often. That is the safest, best way to do it. Certainly go see a dentist or a hygienist. We can pick these things out. If you can open wide, we can grab that stuff without actually touching any part of your tonsils or the back of the throat. If you have a strong gag reflex and just thinking about that makes you gag, that that's tougher, of course. But typically, we just reach in there and grab these pieces. We show the patient. The patient's always very impressed. It's like, oh my goodness, that's what I was trying to swallow. And sometimes they're quite large. Sometimes it's a piece of food. Sometimes it's a piece of foreign debris, you know, packaging. Sometimes when you unwrap a food product, you'll see pieces of foil back there and plastic and little bits like that. If you have what I've mentioned that wanting to swallow kind of feeling and you can't quite get rid of something, something sore back there continually, bad breath, certainly go see a, a dentist. It could be taken care of just like that. But then you want to talk about what's the root cause, what's going to prevent it from happening again. Let's talk about that now. What can you do on a daily basis to prevent this and what is the root cause? And you know where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go right to mouth breathing. 
And there are things you can do to prevent these tonsil stones. If, if you can't get surgery right away, you can't initiate that nose breathing, and, and we'll talk about that. So let's first explain why mouth breathing can be the cause of tonsil stones. As you've heard me say before, I think mouth breathing is probably the number one reason for decay. It's also the reason we some people form calcium deposits, calculus on their teeth. This drying of the biofilm, which also changes the biome, the oral microbiome, because uh, pH levels are usually lower, more acidic for longer periods of time. All of this leads to the ability for tissue in the mouth or biofilms, bacteria, debris. It basically promotes calcification of those substances. And that's because there is calcium present in your saliva. And it's there for a reason. It's there as a reservoir to keep that equilibrium between getting a cavity or forming a cavity and reversing a cavity, that demineralization, remineralization equilibrium that is going on in your mouth at all times, including while you sleep. You need the building blocks to fix the teeth. And the body, via saliva and other means, of course, is fixing your teeth. So it needs phosphorus and boron and hydroxyapatite. It needs calcium in the saliva for that to occur. But the problem is, is that if things are very dry, it's almost like seeing scale on the floor of the shower or on your fixtures. If you don't have a lot of moisture, then this stuff's going to settle out. It's going to calcify. It's going to crystallize on inanimate objects, as well as tonsillar tissue, which is not an inanimate object. I mean, it's a living piece of tissue, but the piece that's calcifying typically doesn't have its own blood supply. It's inanimate in that sense. So, try mouth taping. If you can't mouth tape, then obviously you have to go see an ear, nose, and throat. But if you're mouth breathing all night long, you're going to get tonsillar pillars. I can tell you that with 100% assuredness, among other things. So, so and during the day, of course, maybe less likely so. But if you are mouth breathing and not able to breathe your nose, and as the reader mentioned, she has problems sleeping. Well, mouth breathing, bruxism, grinding, these are all features of someone who suffers from poor sleep. So, I think the person that asked this question probably, and the, the reason it is there in the question, is that it's probably one of the reasons or one of the root causes of her having tonsillar stones. And I see this all the time. Mouth breathers have more tartar and they also have, or more likely to have tonsillar stones. So, if you can't mouth tape, read about it on our website. Uh, we've got podcasts on it. You can certainly see it anywhere on the web now. It's definitely reached its moment, which is great. Try that first. See if that helps. Gargle with the salt water, super saturated solution of salt water. That alone will not help. You definitely have to address the mouth breathing. The dryness of the tonsils are going to promote changes in the morphology of the tonsils. I can see mouth breathing in a manifestation of a redness a change in the morphology of tonsils. So, if we see that, and then we see other things that dentists can see, morphology changes in the free margin, the gum tissue, the opaqueness of tartar, for example, how quickly it forms. These are all things that dentists can see and then infer that, oh, geez, uh, there's probably some mouth breathing going on here. So, so I'm not surprised that you asked both of these questions or mention both of these things in the same question. I hope everyone's seeing the connection. I would also avoid carbonated drinks, very high in minerals, typically sulfur-type foods, dairy products. There's a study that indicates that. I'm not so sure that's a big contributor. You should be able to eat and drink anything you really want, assuming you've got a good 
strong, healthy oral microbiome. Everything's moist in your parts of the mouth and airway. All those other biomes are doing healthy as well. So yeah, also drink a lot of fluid with food, with your meals. I think that's also important. That fluid is a lubricant. It helps the flow of foods down the airway past the tonsils. And reducing the amount of bacteria, I see this all the time when I read about tonsil stones. Again, using very strong mouthwashes, disinfecting the mouth, that's not the answer. Reducing the amount of bacteria in the oral cavity is never the answer. There's biomes all over the mouth, and it's mouth breathing that causes this problem. So stay away from sites that talk about that. That's a very simplistic and older approach to it, like it is when it comes to cavities and gum disease. Just use more mouthwash and use stronger toothpaste. That's silly. It's ridiculous. Don't take this lightly. Bad breath is inconvenient for sure. And that's what motivates most people to deal with their tonsil stones. But tonsil stones, if left untouched or, you know, get bigger, it can lead to severe throat and ear pain even. It can even lead to the removal of the tonsils when you really didn't need to remove the tonsils for any other reason except for that. This is a vital part of the immune system. It's always nice to try and keep tissue. It's not like it's an appendix or some kind of vestigial piece of tissue. We do need this. So, And then lastly, let's talk about bruxism. I touched on that a little bit. Bruxism, grinding, we call it sleep bruxism now, the grinding that goes on during at night. That is, we know is related to sleep issues. The fact that your dentist recommended a night guard without assessing for sleep issues is a red flag. Wearing a night guard can worsen your sleep. There are all sorts of studies on that that support that. Most dentists will agree with that, the ones that are in the know. But look at that bruxism as part of the same problem. You know, maybe your mouth breathing, your respiratory rate is up, your heart rate is up. You've got a lot of interruptions due to all those issues. Your airway can dry out past the tonsils. If your airway is very dry, you're breathing through your mouth all night long. And if the airway touches or comes into contact with itself when it collapses at night, which is typical. We lose the tone of the muscles of the airway as we go into deep sleep. Hopefully you are hitting some deep sleep. And then if it's a dry, if the tissue in that very small airway, I'm talking about the size of a tapioca straw, the lumen diameter of a tapioca straw, that's incredibly small. Those tissues will be more likely to stick together because they're dry. They're not lubricated with saliva. And, and so the apneas will be longer until that tissue peels apart from itself. So another reason to address mouth breathing. So again, that bruxism is related to your issue with tonsil stones. I would love to hear back from you after you've addressed all these issues to see how you're doing. Reach out to me, please. I would love to hear how that journey goes for you. And if you've addressed any of the things I've mentioned and how well that ameliorates the raid or the incidence of tonsil stones for you. So let us know. I would love to give feedback to everyone. I'll refer back to this episode. We'll do a little follow-up. So again, good luck and fascinating series of questions that maybe you didn't know or maybe many of you didn't know, but they probably are related. So love it. Great stuff. Again, we would love to hear back from you on how everything goes. All right. That brings us to the end of another episode. Great question. The reason I asked her to get back to us is because that's kind of what a functional dentist does. I mean, relating dry mouth to sleep and to tonsil stones, this is not something you get in the normal dental curriculum. And of course, it makes sense now that I brought it up. But the only way to learn from this is from clinical experience. And the only way you learn from clinical experience 
and apply it to the next patient is following up. And again, that is part of functional dentistry. And I've been doing that my whole career and taking notes, mental notes, written notes. And this is where we learn as practitioners. Clinical knowledge is, I think, as important, sometimes more important, the two together, well, more important than studies and scientific research. But of course, the two together are optimal. So again, it's just important to A, first consider the root cause. We could easily just go in there. A dentist can just pick out the tonsil stones and say, see you in six months. But to be able to tell the patient what caused it, and then because that recognition of that cause, causation, again, root cause, working upstream as a healthcare provider, because you've identified that, then it's easy to give patient information and advice on how to prevent it. So anyway, I will stop there. And if you have any questions about functional dentistry, any personal questions about dentistry in general, oral health, how it's connected to systemic health, please ask your questions. Help me educate others, including other practitioners. Let's get it all out. Would love to hear from you. Go to speakpipe.com slash ask the dentist. You can ask your question there. Again, keep them simple. Try and only ask one question. That way I can play it back on the show. And please give me your name. Would love to know who you are. And it'd be fun to know where you're calling in from, where you're recording that message. And then if you have any other general information that you want to know about oral health and more, go to askthedentist.com. That site's been up for over 10 years. It's pretty comprehensive. We are still adding things to it. We've got other practitioners that are adding to it as well. If you don't have any questions, that probably will prompt some questions. And again, if you're looking for someone that can address root cause issues and oral health, if that's something that is appealing to you, which I think it should be, makes sense, saves you money, gives you a better outcome, it in so many ways is a better way to practice, then go to our directory of functionally minded dentists. Go to askthedentist.com slash directory. And it's still a small list. I just got off a Zoom call with a functional dentist outside of the Boston area. I asked her how many of functional dentists that she knew of in Massachusetts, and she said four. And that's a pretty high number for a state that size. So it's a growing list. And remember, if there's no one in your area, don't despair. We're trying to teach and mentor functional dentists to do teledentistry. And that way you can see a good clinician, a good dentist that can do the work properly, but you can get advice from a functional dentist via teledentistry. It works. I've seen it work. I've done it myself. I highly recommend that. So anyway, last tip of the day is just that. Seek out a functional dentist. Go to the directory for that. And if you can't find someone, get back to us on our website and we will try and connect you with someone. I hope everyone is well. COVID seems like it's waning. We've got a world situation with war and death and violence, and it's overwhelming. It really is. And just wish all of you, whoever's listening, let's hang in there and let's try and all be healthy together as one community, as one planet. I don't want to sound corny, but I really think that should always be on the front of our minds. Not sure how we're going to accomplish that, but I hope at some point we're able to do that. Stay safe, and I will see you in the next episode on Ask the Dentist. Thanks for joining me. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. 
Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.